Hey, good morning, everybody. And all of those online, can you hear me okay? At least I hope you can. We'll see. All righty. Good, good. Hey, um, man, I tell you, there's been some great things that have been happening with all of us. That, uh, that message about being joined to, to God this morning by Dan, very excellent. Very excellent. You know, if we're joined in his spirit, where else, uh, where's the best place to be? Being joined with him in that spirit, with God. Very good stuff. Last week we talked to you about uh, the foundation of grace. And what did we find out? Who, who does the work? It's God that performs the works, right? Good to see Tim here this morning. Uh, God performs the work. So we have to understand that we've always been in a works mentality. We always thought that if we did enough things and, and worked in some things, you know, uh, what we figured toward God. Some people even build whole kingdoms concerning the thing of God. They uh, get churches established. They get you know, five or six different churches, or they have a huge congregation, 18,000, what, or what, like the guy that's in California, 40,000, you know, uh, congregation, has a big campus, whatever. And all of these works, and people are applauding them for these works, because they say, look at what they're doing for God. You know, it's just great. And so, uh, but you can do, Paul said this, I think it's in the beginning of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, you can give your body to be burned. You can establish great things. You can get all revelations. You can do all of these great things. And if you don't have love, you know, it's, it's just going to be like sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. And uh, there are people that can get all of this together, and they say they love God. But what they're leaving out is that God performs the works. And he wants you to love him by having his spirit joined to him and that you follow the will of God in everything. It's not by your works that these things are going to be established. A lot of people can do works in this earth. I, I, there was a guy that I knew. I was talking to my wife about him not too long ago. Um, when I was in college, he was a, a TA for me, a teacher's aide uh, for some of the courses that I had. And uh, he was going to be a doctor. He'd already been accepted into medical school, but he was kind of uh, trying to earn enough money to get some other things together. Then he started a business, and the business took off. And he forgot about medical school because he was earning more money than what he would do if he went to medical school. Uh, came down, visited me here in Yuma uh, one, once or twice. And, um, and then he told me the last time he came down, he said, oh, I just bought a helicopter for my business. And, and we're going to be, you know, flying this around and doing stuff. And he learned how to fly a helicopter and so he could fly between places and keep his business going and so forth. And then the next thing I heard, probably about a year after that, uh, he got divorced from his wife. He had two kids. The business started going downhill, of course, because they had to split the assets. Everything started going downhill. Had so much stress on his mind about different things, he lost just about everything. But look at all those works he had performed at first, not knowing there was going to come a time he really needed God to help him go the right way. But that's not the type of person he was. He, did, he pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. He's the guy that 
did the work. I know if I work hard enough, I'm going to do this. And that may be true in the world, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the works of God. We're talking about God being allowed. I'm going to use that term, being allowed to perform his works in you by the Spirit. And the reason I say allowed is because sometimes we don't listen to God. Sometimes we put obstructions up where God can't do that. We close our minds. We close our hearts. And God can't get through and, and say and do the things that he wants to do. We don't believe in the Spirit. We don't believe that the things that God says his Spirit can accomplish can be accomplished. Because you know what we're comparing it to? His physical realm. You know, we, we're thinking, well, he, obviously he can't do this and he can't do that. The God I serve can do all things. What you have to do is realize is what your expectation is of the things you want done is not God's expectation. God's trying to get you into the spirit. He's trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to get you to a place where you will be the son of God and accomplish what the son of God needs to accomplish in your world. That's what God wants. And um, so uh, we just look at it wrong. We have wrong expectations, wrong thought. So last week we talked about the foundation of grace, allowing God to perform his work in you. And believe it or not, this is like part two right here. Um, I'm going to tell you about, if this is a character study again. You know, we talked about David a couple of times and whatever. We're going to talk about a particular man today. Uh, he's, he's a cool guy, I think. I've always admired Nehemiah because just because of the things he said, and how he gave himself over totally to the things of God. He had a laser focus concerning God. I mean, he had a laser focus. So um, let me give you a little background here. Um, this guy, uh, Artaxerxes, he's a king at the time. And once again, Israel is under bondage. Uh, and do anybody remember Artaxerxes is the Persian, the Persian king? Remember how, when he came in, what happened? Anybody remember how he got to be over the, holding the children of Israel captive? Anybody remember that? It, it's something you know, believe it or not. Once I say it, you'll know exactly. It, it, it's, it's when uh, uh, Belteshazzar had the impious feast, and he, and he used the things of the temple to drink the wine out of, and they had a big party, and he had brought all the stuff out, you know, and he was drunk, you know, and all this stuff, and and then all of a sudden, a hand, a finger, appears out, and it writes on the, the uh, uh, banister of the wall. And I think it said, many, many, you farson. Yeah. And, and, and the king looks at it. Now, he, he sobered up real quick because he had been drinking out of those, those holy vessels that had been in the temple. He sobered up real quick. In fact, it said his knees smote together. His knees, he was so scared when he saw that because it was just a man's hand with a finger writing in his presence. And man, he tried to get somebody to come in and interpret that and do whatever. Nobody could do it, of course, because this is a message from God. That's what's actually going on. And one of these people reminds say, hey, you got a guy in your kingdom? He's, he's famous. He worked with several kings. He, in fact, he worked with your father. And he said he, he always, he knew everything. The spirits of the gods were in him, it say. But really it was the spirit of God that was in him. But he can answer everything. And so he said, okay, send for, they had forgotten about Daniel. All the stuff that had gone on that God had proved himself among them, they had forgotten about it. Now it's a different time, isn't it? And uh, so anyway, they go to get him, bring him up there, and 
And he offered him gifts and all that stuff. If he would interpret, he said, keep your gifts. I don't want your gifts. I don't need your gifts. I'll just tell you what it says. And he says, you know what? You have you've done the very thing that God told you not to do and your father not to do and whatever. He said, and he said, and you're using the vessels of the Lord to have a party and drink out of and whatever. He said, these are honored vessels. These are things that have spiritual significance in the temple. And look what you're doing. And your heart is just, is, you know, you're over us. Yes, the people are under you. Yes, you have Israel as your captives, but your heart is not right. Your thoughts aren't right. So God's telling you right now, because of what you've done and what you proved, your kingdom is going to be taken from you this night. That very night while he's standing there talking to him. He said, your kingdom's going to be taken from you. And that night, the Medes and the Persians came in and took over the country. That's Artaxerxes. He's the Persian king, okay? He's the king of the Medes and the Persians. And, and so what we're seeing is a continuation of the story. And this is what Artaxerxes is doing right now. Now Nehemiah and all these people have raised up. They've been under bondage for a while now to the Persians. Before that, what was it, Chaldeans, Babylonians, all this stuff. This is just another one in the long list of people because Israel would not do what God asked them to do. And so now the Persians are in charge. And, but there's always loyal people to God, no matter who is in charge. Remember how God always delivered the righteous man. Even in the midst of being in captivity, he would do that. Well, guess what? Nehemiah was the servant to Artaxerxes. He'd come and bring him his wine, bring him his food, all that stuff. And he would converse with the king, even to the point where he got very, you know, common with the king. And one day he was bringing something, a drink to the king or something like that. And his face was just because the Lord had been talking to him. His face was just all messed up. He was sad. And the king looked at him and said, you know, to him, he said, hey, why are you so sad? What's going on? You know, the king had a rapport with him and he had a rapport with the king. King liked him a lot. And he was a faithful servant. Now, this is a good thing to remember. Even if you're in captivity, be a faithful servant. Does that make sense? What did Dan preach that message on? Can you be what? Can you have peace in the midst of the carnal mind? Yes, you can. Be a good servant. Be a good servant to the Lord. The only way you're going to have that is still, even while all this stuff is going on, still try to serve God. That's the big thing. Nehemiah was like that. He prayed to God. You know, it's kind of like what Daniel did. You know, he prayed three times and all that stuff every day facing toward the east. God, Nehemiah was kind of like that type of guy. Laser focus on God. He's a younger man. He's been raised up under this captivity and all this stuff. And he's become the servant to Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is concerned about him. He said, well, tell me what's wrong. He said, how can I have a happy face when the, the city I came from, the walls are torn down, the temple is all messed up? All of those things. This is a hundred years after that's happened. A hundred years since they've lost all that stuff, since the walls were torn down. And so he, he's saying, how can I? He said, we need to rebuild this to our God and so forth. Artaxerxes said, tell me what you want. What do you need? He said, I'd like to go back and rebuild those walls and rebuild the temple and do all stuff. He said, he told his servants, make it so. Give him the supplies he needs. <laughs> Look at God. Look at God. Under a heathen king a Persian king. Give him the supplies he needs. And he said, you need something else? He said, well, we're going to need more men. He said, okay, take, you pick out who you want, take them with you. We're, we're gonna, you know who he's going to pick. He's going to pick the people that believe a lot like him. 
Jews that need to go back and help rebuild that temple. And uh, so he says, and what else? You need anything else? And he thought about it. He said, you're going to have to give me a letter or something that, that lets people know that when I travel back to this place, all these governors that you have set up and these province leaders and stuff, they're going to give me a hard time unless I have some proof that you told me I could do this. He wrote him a big old letter, said, whatever Nehemiah wants to do, you leave him alone. You have a question, come talk to me about it. I thought that's cool. <laughs> I thought that's cool. You know, he, he told me, he gave him that letter. And Nehemiah went out in the strength of the Lord because he knew God had already blessed him. He knew God had already blessed him, you know, concerning that. Now, this is back in the earlier part of the book of Nehemiah. And there's a couple of times that people come and try to interrupt him from doing the work, and they're very devious. They, they tell him, they say, well, we want to come up and work with you. Really, it wasn't. They wanted to come up and destroy the work, you know. And they were jealous of him because the king had done that to him and gave him that authority and whatever. And they were Persians under the king, and they didn't get nothing like that. They said, wait a minute, why is the king letting him do this? And they were governors and princes and high-minded people in the thing. And, but, you know, they, they would try to trick him, all kinds of stuff. Well, we're coming to the climax of it. This is what's really the, the big thing. Climax is, I think, is chapter 6. I like reading this story, man. I like the whole story. The whole book of Nehemiah is cool. But I'm going to read some of this to you. It says, uh, now it came to pass when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now, these are the guys that have been causing him trouble from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 6, and they're going to probably cause him a little trouble afterwards. But this is the climax where he kind of gets the power over him here. And, and the thing is, they'd been trying to deceive him and whatever. He saw through everything, and he always gave credit to the Lord for him being able to discern and see through what their games were, what they were trying to do, destroy the work of the Lord. And so he was back there working. His whole crew, they're working. They worked so good, they, they had almost the whole uh, wall thing fixed. The only thing he didn't have done, he didn't have the gates to the, to the city done yet. He was still waiting on that. But they had the walls repaired, the breaches in the walls repaired and all that. So this is where this, they're at. Now listen to this. These guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're, they're high people in the court of the king. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah, they're Persians. That last guy, Geshem, he's an Arab. And the three of them, they all hate Israel. So the thing is, they want to stop him from this work. They don't want the city walls to be rebuilt. So the first two are Persians. This Geshem is an Arab. So it's really cool to see how God's bringing all this together. You think God's concerned about a natural city, a natural temple or anything? He's not really concerned about that. It's a symbol of how the people used to worship him. And he's trying to get them back to worshiping him the way they did before. Before they fell to all of this apostasy and everything that they did. Before they fell to worshiping other gods. Before they fell, you know, when they had, some of them had a mind to serve God. And so that's a symbol of that. If they can rebuild that, maybe they can bring Israel together again in some way, you know, in worship. And so, uh, so it's a symbol to them. So God's not worried about the walls of a city or anything like that. He's talking about the symbolism of getting Jerusalem built again and having the temple set up again so the people can worship them. That's the big thing. And so these guys, there's some contemporaries for, for Nehemiah. Ezra is around during that time. Malachi is around during that time. He's a contemporary of them. 
and also Zerubbabel. I know you've heard of him before. All of these guys had their part in trying to rebuild this city and rebuild the temple. And you can go down and do a breakdown of what each one of them did. And one's like a project manager. The other one's like a, a architect for building, you know, and getting the stuff, the materials together, like an engineer and stuff. Each one of them had a part of trying to bring that city back together again. So this is years and years. You know, the prophet Ezra prophesied at one time, Nehemiah another. You see how it worked? But they all worked together. Some of them overlapped in their prophecy at the time, what they were doing, how they were brought forth. But what God was doing, he was using all of them. I, I like to look at it this way, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's what he had there. He brought them all together. And so they were rebuilding this thing. Now, let me read some of this to you. This is cool how this works. Um, so the only thing he hadn't done, he hadn't put the gates up there. Uh, they said, Sadballad and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some, some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they sought to do me mischief. God lasered him right in. He, he could discern what they were doing. They sought to do him mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? We've heard that before, haven't we? I'm doing a great work. Why should the work cease for me to come down and talk to you? And, and God had already revealed to him, remember, he's a prophet. They, they mean to do you mischief. Don't pay attention to him. So he goes on with his work. Even though these are high people in the court, he goes on with his work. Yet they sent it, I'm jumping to four. Yet they sent it to me four times after this sort. And I answered them after the same, it kept giving them the same answer. But look what happens the fifth time. Then sent Sembalad his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu hath said that thou and the Jews think to rebel. <laughs> he sent him a letter. It's all lies. He said, but this is what I'm going to tell the king, okay? That all of you want to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou, thou mayst beest their king, according to his word. You want to be king is what he's accusing him of. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee in Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. He's saying, if you don't come down and talk to us, this is what we're going to send off. You know, blackmail, a lie. What, what did Dan talk about, about that lie today? A lie, huh? It is not of the truth. God does not lie. But anyway, they say that. You know what he did? He said, I got to continue to work. Didn't pay attention to it. Even though they were setting all this up, I got to finish the work. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. This is what I like about Nehemiah. He lasered right and he said, say, God, you heard this. You saw this. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands to do. Who did he turn to? Turn to God. So he said, strengthen my hands. And God did that. He didn't pay attention. He kept on doing what he had to do. Now God strengthened my hand. Afterward, I came again to the house of Shemaiah. Now, this is really a bad one. And Deliah, the son of uh, Methtabil, who was shut up and said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee, who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. 
So now this person, Shemaiah, is supposed to be some type of prophet. What do we have to fight against? Do we have to fight against false prophets? What pulled us down to this earth? The tale of the false prophet. Exactly. This is the false prophet working again. And he's telling them, come into the temple. I'll protect you. We can go in there together, all of this stuff. And they're, they think to kill you. They're sending somebody to slay you. And, and he said, <laughs> this, and the Lord has told me these things. You know, this is what I'm a prophet. Remember now, I'm prophesying. And he looks right through all of that. God gives him discernment again. I'm telling you, this guy, Nehemiah, has laser focus. Some of us would have said, well, maybe because he's talking about the temple and about this and that, and he's trying to help me so I won't be slain, maybe I ought to go do it. He saw through all that. God always gave him discernment of all of these things, the heart of the people that were working with him. And then there was a lady, too. She's not mentioned here. She's mentioned later, but she's telling them she's a prophetess. And she's telling them, yeah, you need to go on in, save your life, all of this. But he goes through this whole thing. He hears this re evil report. report. Uh, then he does this in verse 14. I like this. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to their, these, these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah. That's that prophecy that I was telling you about. And the rest of the prophets that would have me put in fear. So there were prophets that were trying to put him in fear. But were they... God's prophets or were they false prophets? He said, all these people trying to put me in fear. He said, God, you take care of them. I'm leaving them in your hands. I'm going to continue to work. What you sent me to do, I'm going to continue to do. This is cool stuff. And so his focus is on what God wants him to do. So the wall was finished in the 20th and 5th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. The walls have been broken down for almost close to 100 years. And now they're built back up and done in 52 days. Remember, he asked God to do what with his hands? Strengthen his hands. And they did that work. It was such a quick work. It caught everybody off guard that the wall was back up. It was amazing what God did through Nehemiah. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. Did their countenance change? Were they cast down in their own eyes? Sure did. They were looking down. We couldn't stop them. This is, look at what he's accomplished. And everybody's seeing it because the whole place knows what's being done. Everybody's seeing it. And so he says, and they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. What hath God wrought? What did he do? Did his grace work? Remember, we told you the grace worked in the Old Testament, too. Did his grace work? Did he cause the work to be done? Did he cause it to be done quicker than what anyone normally would be able to do it? Did he give him discernment so he could see through the lies? Remember what that, what dancing about that devil. All he's going to do is try to lie all the time, try to fool you, deceive you. The strange woman's going to work. All these things are going to work. You see how it works here? And that was a strange woman, that woman, that prophetess that tried to get him to go in, too. They, they use men and women trying to get him to leave the work of God. And he said, this, this was wrought by God. Now, here's this word. It's a funny word. It's an old English word, wrought. But what it means is that the acts of God or the things God has performed, God did that. He said, that's the grace in work. God performed all of this work, and he gives him credit for it. He said, we, we never would have been able to do this if it hadn't been for our God. 
God is the one that deserves the glory for this. We got the walls built, all of this. He's telling the people, this is what we have to do. So the wall was finished. The work was wrought of God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him. He was a man of influence. A lot of people sworn to Tobiah, came unto him. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son, son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Ber these guys that they're naming are high court people with the king. All these people mentioned there. Also, they reported his good deeds before me. What he thought, he tried to make himself look like he was doing good things for the people. He wasn't. So he could see through all of that. And uttered my words to him. Somebody told Nehemiah's words to him while he was doing all of this. Uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So what he's telling the people is, this guy is not as good as you think he is. He, he put things in order to put me in fear. But I never feared because who was with him? God was with him. This, this is a powerful thing. Um, I'm going to go to, um, let's see if I can get this on here. We're going to go to John. Chapter 3, very familiar scripture. I'm going to start at 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Does this guy try to put him in condemnation? Is condemned already, okay? And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. So what was being shown here? What was God trying to show Nehemiah? Everyone that hateth that good, that light, you see what's going to come out of it, okay? And their deeds need to be reproved. But he that doeth truth, that's what Dan talked about today, didn't he? Jesus is the truth. His words are the truth. You see, he is that. Doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are, here's that word again, wrought in God. That those words are the deeds of God. The words of God are going to be wrought in God. God's going to perform the work. That's the way it's going to work and all of that. So it's very powerful for us to see that this works Old Testament, New Testament, all of these things. But the thing that I got me the most, this is another character study, is that God always has a man that believes in him. He always has somebody. Even though the nation utterly goes wrong. What have, have you seen our nation and things going on in our world? Even though all those things are going wrong, where should your focus be? You should have the laser focus of Nehemiah to say, I don't care what happens in this world. We're going to put our mind on God. We're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going to let God wrought he, what he's wrought come to pass. The acts, the performance of what God, if he did it for us before, he can do it again. If he did it for Nehemiah, he can do it again. You see how this works? All of this grace. If he did it for David to encourage him, he can still do it. You see how this works? He doesn't change. He's the same God. He said, I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So these works that are wrought in God, the performance, the acts of them, is God still doing them. Don't think this is a story from the past and that that's the only time he ever worked. God is doing this stuff now. Have you seen the changes in your hearts? Have you noticed how your mind is lasering in a little bit closer to the things of God? 
Who's doing that? Who's performing that work? Dan wrote a blog about how that word should be in us and let the word speak. Gary made a great statement of how the word should serve, wants to serve God. The word in you wants to serve God because who is that word in you? It's Jesus. He wants to serve his father. That word in you is what wants to serve God. And if you're paying attention to that, if you're obedient to that, guess what it's going to do? It's going to override everything the enemy tries to send into you. Look at the different things they try to do to Nehemiah. And this is Old Testament, but he had his mind on God. You get the mind of God, guess what's going to happen? You'll defeat and you'll discern everything that comes against you. It's going to be a powerful thing. This is why I said this is part two of that thing. What hath God wrought? What has he wrought in your heart? What has he done? I'm going to tell you something I, I think is a magnificent thing. I, I think about it all the time. Hebrews chapter 10, I think it is. I want you to think about this. Um, is it verse 5? Oh, it talks about, you remember we talked about how the sacrifices were offered every year by the priests and so forth. And in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That's what it did, didn't it? It just brought refreshed in your mind because, you know, of the sin you had committed before. But God said, I'm getting tired of that. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now look at this. This is from the foundation of the world, before the foundation. Listen to this. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. When did God do that? From the very beginning. This is Christ talking about himself. This is God talking about himself. A body thou hast prepared me. A body to do what? To die. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God can't die. So he had to prepare a body that could die. Now look at this. He did this. This is the plan of God. He says, uh, Wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. No pleasure in him because it didn't take care of sin. And the people were hypocritical about how they were offering it. So he's saying, then said I, lo, I come. This is, catch what God's saying. Now I'm going to come in the volume of the book. It's going to be me. That's the body that you're going to see. Now I come in the volume of the book. That's Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus is God. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. And what is that, that body going to do? In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, it repeats it again, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the what? The second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Isn't that cool? This is the plan of God. So what, what, did he, what has he wrought? He's wrought Jesus Christ, hasn't he? That was the work he did from the beginning. He says, I'm going to, since I couldn't find uh, anybody worthy, if you want to look at that, that's in uh, the fifth chapter of Revelation. Remember, earth, heaven was searched, earth was searched, under the earth was searched. They couldn't find anybody worthy enough to die for humanity. Nobody could be found. This is a very cool thing. The fifth chapter lets you know. And then that lamb tells him that book is out there. He, he took the book and he turned around and sat down on the throne, didn't he? He said, I'll do it. I'll be that lamb. 
This is God himself. Since he couldn't find anybody, guess what he did? He sent himself. But he sent himself in the only body he was ever, you know, manifested in. He sent himself in that and to die for humanity. Now we're a type of that, are we not? We're that type. Don't we have to die? Same thing. Are we sons of God? What he started from back then is what he's still continuing on today. What hath God wrought? God's still doing his acts. He's still performing his works. And he's doing it in us. Now, when you read all those stories in the Old Testament, now that's working in you. He's doing it in us under grace and truth. He's doing it in us. Those works are being performed in us. Everything in that Bible is being performed in us. The heavens are in us. The earth is in us. Is hell in us. All of it's in us, isn't it? And God knows how to get our mind to work toward the things of God and not toward the things of hell, not toward the things of the carnal mind, not toward the things of the world, but toward him. So this is the thing. We have to think all the time, what hath God wrought in us? Can you think of some of the things God's done for you in your life? I can think of some great things that he's done for me. And I know he's wrought some great things in me. He's performed some great acts in me. And you know what? No end to it. There's going to be some more coming up in the future. So this is a continuation of grace, guys. This is an example of somebody focusing on God, giving the whole heart, soul, and mind to God, and God working through them to perform a great work. He said it himself. I'm performing a great work, and I can't come down and talk with you. I know what your mischief is, but I'm performing a great work. He knew the work was more spiritual than the natural for that wall. This was for God. God kept taking him every step of the way. I'm going to show you what these guys are doing. I'm going to show you, but I'm also going to show you this, how I can grant you favor with a captive king. With a king that's holding you captive, I can grant you favor with that. So you can do (laughs) what you need to do. Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah. He said, anything you need. And you know what Nehemiah promised him? This is the Artaxerxes was, he said, the only thing I care about, after you're done with what you're doing, that you come back and be with me. And our, uh, that's what Nehemiah promised him. He said, when the work is done, O king, I'll come back. I'll be your servant again. He really loved the guy. You know, there was something between them. And there had to be for him to say, look, get what you want. Take the material, take the people, do whatever. I'm a Persian king, but I'm going to help you rebuild your temple and your wall to your city, your holy city. I'll help you to do it. You just tell me what you want. He loved him, didn't he? He had favor with him. Who set all that up? Who wrought that? Uh-huh. That's cool, man. But it's good to be obedient. It's good to be, you know, it tells us about if you're a servant to somebody, do everything the best you can. The people we work for, we should be the best workers in there. The people we work for. I'm serious because that's exactly what this is an example for. Work for the people that you have to work for, but be good in what you're doing. They should always be able to depend on you. They should depend on you to tell them the truth always. Things like that. You be the example on your job. Be that example. Be the best you can be. Do the best you can. That's the cool thing about it. That's what he did. And it'll grant you favor with the king or the boss or whatever. That's how it works. I've had that happen to me. My wife can tell you some of the things that have happened with me because I was faithful in what I did. You know, it didn't hardly take any time off. 
and hardly took any sick time off, even when I didn't feel good. But I was still there working, doing what I had to do. Did it for 42 years, guys, and faithful in it. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, if I can be that faithful in the worldly thing, what should I be with God? More so. More so. And this is how this should work. But also, even here, God requires us. He says, you do the best for the guy that's your boss. Do the best for him. And it doesn't mean he has appreciate it either. In fact, he may not appreciate it at all. Never notice what you've done. But that's between you and God. Let God notice what you've done. That's how that works. Don't look for a pat on the back. Look for God to tell you, yes, well done, my good and faithful servant. You served even down here and you served me too the same way. Let God say that to you. That's going to be a cool thing, huh? Anybody got any questions for me? About what I said today? Another character study. You know when it talks about that he'll make even your enemies be at peace with you? Does that have anything to kind of do with that? Or? Sure. Sure does. And it also goes even deeper in that, Seth. It tells you to love your enemies. <laughs> That's still a thing. That catches people sometimes. But it says to do that. It says to love them. Loving them enough to do the right thing. Speak to them the right way. Tell them the truth. All of those things. Love your enemies. Because you know what the enemies are there to do? You're going to have to face them and be an overcomer by those enemies that come forward in your life. If you can overcome them, guess what? You get strengthened. There's a purpose for the enemy. That's why you should love them. Because they're doing the work of God in your life. God has wrought something through those enemies. He's using them to strengthen you. So should you love them? Yeah. That's a tough thing for people to realize, huh? He's using them to strengthen you. That's powerful. So love them. They're serving a purpose.